0: Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter six uh, this morning, uh, I hope will be a, a great message uh, that is less is more. Less is more. We are. Uh, some of you have done the math already. We're looking at one verse this morning. Um, a couple of things about that. Uh, you realize that if a pastor only preaches one verse and he does that every week, he's not going to get very far in the Bible. Um, so, but it's important, uh, as we look at this, I want to stop and, uh, slow down for this one verse. Cause I feel like it's important for us as a church where we're at right now. Also, some of you said, well, at least it'll be short. Uh, don't kid yourself. Okay. This might be longer than you, you'd expect just being one verse. Uh, but as we go to God's word I want to talk to you about this important issue. As we look at this, we see uh, we're in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is sharing with this new group of people that are trying to understand what He is about in His new kingdom. And He is looking them in the eye, and He's telling them. And He comes to this section, really this verse, and which begins a section which He's going to be talking about three issues. He's going to be talking about giving, uh, prayer, and fasting, uh, all which were very important to the Jewish people this morning it 's really a message uh, about motives about motives and as I say the word motive, most of you know what that means, right You, you know what it is when you you think of someone 's motives um, this morning we 're going to question motives, and most of us are pretty good at this already, unfortunately. Unfortunately, most of the time when we question motives, it's somebody else's. Uh, We're wondering why they're doing what they're doing. And this morning, uh, Jesus wants to turn that questioning of motives to our own heart. Um, And so this may be a little different for most of us than the regular questioning of motives that we do. I'm smiling and most of you don't find it that funny. I wonder why, I question why. Uh, no, sorry. Um, motives. As we look at the context, uh, Jesus talked about righteousness over and over again, the idea of being perfect, and that this is a superior kind of living that he is presenting to them. Um, and that's where it leaves us into uh, verse 1. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, uh, I'd like to read to you just verse 1. God's word says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. God, I ask that uh, in these few moments that we look at this one verse, Lord, that your Spirit would work in us, that would teach us, and uh, that he would grant us understanding, that would come to repentance, that we would change. God, you know where we need to change. I ask that you would reveal that to us as well. Give us the power to do so. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It starts off, beware. Watch out. Uh, take great care, because something important is going to happen. I find it interesting that Jesus does this in his messages, where he wants people to draw uh uh, attention to something. He wants to heighten their their uh, senses and say something important, something you might miss. You think of as a parent uh, what you do for your kids. I think of the stove, the stovetop. And I grew up in a home where we always had gas stoves. And that electric stove is the most dangerous thing in the world. Because you, you're not always sure when it's on, and it's kind of, it glows, and so it's kind of cool, and as a kid you want to, and so as parents you just say, oh, that'll teach them, just let them touch it two, three times, right? No, you, you stop them, you, you, you want to, why, why do you want to warn them? Because it's attractive, it's, it's maybe even subtle, but it's important that they know that that's not something you put your hand on. That's not something that you can overlook the danger of. And so this morning, Jesus calls to the people and he calls them to beware, to watch out. I think about this and I think about what it must have been like in the last few weeks, as I've shared with you from the passage of Matthew. I picture looking at the, looking into the eyes of the Savior that he is sharing with them the one the Messiah that was to come and and later in, in the book of Matthew he was going to give his life and and Jesus looks into their eyes and he says, "I want to tell you about my kingdom I want to tell you the different king that I will be for you I, I want to tell you a better way and so this morning, as you hear the message from Jesus, realize this. It's a better way for you. It's a better way for you. I think so often when we hear different teaching, we like it when people say, "Uh, You're right just the way you are. You're already doing it right. And you're going, Yeah, I'm pretty smart, huh? And Jesus is not saying that to these people, He's saying, I present to you a different kingdom. That the way you've been taught, the way you've been living is, is wrong. is wrong. But I don't give you that in a way to make you feel bad. I come to show you a different way. And so as Jesus calls to them, he says, with the love of the Savior, he also says, beware, beware. Super important that you get this. Well, what is this important thing that he is calling them to view what if, uh, this first part. I would just label careful living. He says, "Beware or watch out of practicing your righteousness." And if you read that slowly, you go, "What, huh?" Beware of practicing your righteousness. You know, as I think about it, I'd go, "Well, righteousness—it's—it's it's doing what's right." It's the things that come out of your life that are the, the way they should be. And, and, and I would think that Jesus would say, no, just keep doing it. Recklessly go after living righteously. Just do it a lot, okay? But Jesus is saying, be careful. Be careful about the way you practice your righteousness, the way you live. Um, when I think of righteousness, uh, in fact, righteousness is sometimes thought of as a bad word, isn't it? Oh, Mr. Righteous guy. Oh, holier than thou. You know, we look at these words and sometimes we look down on people that seem that way and we go, oh, you know, that, that, that that's, we don't, we don't even like that. And so as we hear that word righteous, we need to remember what it means, It's the idea of doing that which is right in the eyes of God. And it doesn't, as Jesus introduces this whole idea here, he doesn't go into whether it's real righteousness or just seeming righteousness. He's just saying, your righteousness, what you think to be right. He says, beware of the way you practice it. That you need to live carefully. Now, why this is so strange to us is this. In our world today, very rarely do we care. <laughs> very rarely. Uh, we we don't care when it comes to athletics, right? We just care what the score was at the end of the game. Who won? Not how you won or, or the motives of the one of why they played that way. Uh, most of you know that I, I enjoy baseball and uh in the midst of the season, there's just the steroid scandal, and it's coming up again and again and again. And it's interesting uh, that we talk about that because what is the motive behind using steroids? Just when? Just when? Just put the ball over the fence. Just be able to play better than the next guy. It doesn't matter how you got there, it just matters when you're on stage what does it look like? And Jesus says, I want to tell you about a different kingdom, a different kingdom. He says, beware of how you practice your righteousness, what it looks like, where it comes from. Jesus uh, shares this, and, and I want to remind you that righteousness is good. He'd already talked about it in chapter four, where he, he talks about Chapter four, verse 14, that section there, he says, your life, the things that you do in your life were meant to be salt and light. And what that's supposed to do is when people look at the good things that you do, they're meant to be pointers to God. And so righteousness in and of itself is not bad, but it's the idea of careful living, careful living. Well, what is it to live carefully? Um, what are the two options here? You look down at uh, our verse, and it says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Before other people. As you read that, you say, well, um, before other people, so you should just do good things privately. You should kind of be the, the secret guy, Right? Uh, the secret service kind of sneaky about doing righteous things that that wasn't the point that wasn't wasn't the point the The point is and it 's that next phrase right there, look down at it before other people in order to be seen by them as you as you read those words in order to be seen by them that's the motive that he is warning us about. That we would live our lives in order to be seen by men. When I think about um messages, sometimes I, I confess to you as a pastor, you study and you, you prepare, and Sunday morning comes and there's all these doubts and thoughts that go into your mind, and sometimes you go, Not everyone's gonna relate to this message. I don't know, you know, I know your words inspired, it's good for everybody, and I but God, I just don't see where this relates. This morning, I had none of those thoughts. none of those thoughts. In fact, I was confident that everyone who showed up at Bear Valley Church today could relate to the message that I was going to share. Not that it was going to be a good message, but that I knew that you'd be able to relate to it. Because I think this is a common, uh, the most com- one of the most common struggles that we all go through is living for the pleasure of others, to somehow please them, to score points in their book for their approval, their stamp of approval. Um, I try not to embarrass my family too much and share too much about them. It's a danger of being related to a pastor. But uh, this last week, uh, I was taking uh, one of my son's To sixth grade orientation. It's important that I say son and sixth grade orientation, okay? That's important to the story. So we're out and about. We're actually at the other school before that, and he sees one of his peers, another male, okay? Another male, someone else's son, comes running up. And uh, the one boy says to my boy, he says, you're wearing that to orientation? And my son got the confused Bosler look, and he says, yeah, yeah. And, and once his brain got in gear, he said, what are you, an eighth grade girl? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sorry for all those who are eighth grade girls present here today. I'm sorry for that. Those who are going to be eighth grade girls, I'm sorry for you as well. And those who have been, I apologize to all those groups of people. I, I share that story um, because it's prevalent in our world today. It's prevalent. That that we are pressured, we are pressured to to feel the approval of some other man, other person. And, and so we live our lives in such a way, trying to do things in, a, in such a way that we get the attention or the eyesight of someone else and then gain points somehow in their book. Uh, once again, uh, schools. Um, the school that we went to up in Petaluma as well as uh, here in Tehachapi, uh, some teachers do the thing caught being good. Caught being good. And the, the the idea behind it is great. It's the idea that uh, kids are going about doing life, just living, and a teacher sees something good and they acknowledge that something good is going on and they put a spotlight on it. So so you know what kids do, right? This is what they do. This is what we do too. You know, we don't have systems and but we're like, is the teacher watching? Okay, I'm gonna work like crazy. I'm gonna work Oh, she's not looking anymore. Okay, back at it. She's looking again. And I want to be caught being good without really being good, right? We we just want to perform. We just want to have the eyes of someone affirm that we somehow have done what is right. We live in that sort of way being driven by the approval of people. Driven by it. I think I know why Jesus said beware. Do you? Because it's subtle, it's subtle. It, it, for some of us, we go, uh, yeah, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. We we almost assume that if Jesus says beware, that it's going to say beware of murder. Because murder's bad. Beware of immorality. It's prevalent and it's destructive. But he says beware. Doing your righteous deeds or your good works, your acts. Beware of doing them before men. And so this morning, I think the great danger for us is how are we living? Why are we motivated to do the things that we're doing? Why are we motivated to uh, to do what is right? Is it to please men? If it is, that's the danger. That's the danger. You know, we're concerned, um, we're concerned about credit, right? If we do something good, I got to get credit. You know those group projects in school? Uh, if you're one kind of student, you want to be connected with another kind of student. But if you're that other kind of student, you really don't want that other kind of student on, your, on that group project, right? I was that other kind of student. I just want to point that out. You want to get credit. You want to get credit. Siblings do this all the time, right? Uh, we, we had a task to do, a chore. Sure. He didn't do his part. I just wanted you to know. I wanted to make sure that I got my credit. I, I, I want to make sure that you knew that I did what was right. We're concerned about that. I wish that it stopped in the schools or or even in the sibling rivalry. I wish it stopped there, but, but it happens for adults all the time. Did I get credit for doing what's right? Does everyone know that I did it? And you say, well, that's just fair. And, and, and I say, what is the grave danger? And you say that no one will know. Do you get where Jesus is going with this? He explains in in the next, the last part of this verse, how this together. That's the world's view. Okay, that's the world view. It's that the world watches your life. It's really not the world. We're not that popular, right? It's just our world. It's the people who impact us. It's our peers it's the people we run into. It might even be people at church here putting things on you. And you're like, I got to impress this person. I got to do what they want. You know, their phone call. I will always take, I will always say yes to them. Even if I don't want to, even if it, I don't even think God wants me to. I'm, I'm just nervous for their approval. That's the worldview. You know, um, I want to tell you this too. I want to confess to you. Um, Sometimes I introduce myself and I say, um, uh, "I'm the pastor of Bear Valley Church." I'm the pastor, like you, should be impressed. Um, a proper uh, greeting for for me to you is, a, "I'm a dirty, wretched sinner. I shouldn't be let into this place." Okay, that's who I am. But I desire. I struggle with the approval of men. That's a worldview. That's the way the world presses in on us. But the answer is found in the second part of verse 1. He already said, you know, that you had practice your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. But then he says this, for then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Well, what's the other way? If, if I'm not to have this worldview where the world is pressing in on me and grabbing at me and telling me what to do and saying, uh, uh-uh, don't do it like that. You don't get any points for that. You'll get 10 points if you do it this way. What's the other way? Well, it's the father's view. He looks at the rewards and he says, uh, for then you will have no reward, You'll have no reward. What's down here? The approval, the points that you're getting, they're worthless. They're worthless. They're no good. The, the approval of your neighbors, your friends, your peers, your family members, even your spouse. It's no good. It doesn't count. Your reward—it's—it's it's not something that's going to last. You don't want to live for that because it's worthless. And the—the the other reward that's laying aside, just—just just on a, right next to it, and he's comparing here. He says this: "You have no reward from your father who is in heaven." And you see. Wait a minute. There's a reward from our Father in heaven? Yes. Yes. I want to key in a few words there. He looks at the the reward that this world can give you, and he says it's worthless. He says they're eternal rewards, and they don't have them. In fact, there's Father's rewards. You get this beautiful picture of a father. He uses the word for his father and he says, he, he points us to him and he says, the rewards come from the father. That you have a relationship. He says, I want to explain to you my kingdom. In my kingdom, we have relationship with the father. And, and what kind of relationship is it? It's a father-child relationship. It's one where we have a relationship with him that we don't deserve. It's interesting, you can see this um, in sports all the time with kids' sports play basketball or little league or soccer. And I've seen it over and over again. Uh, It happens. You've probably participated in this to some degree or another. I remember we were in Petaluma, and there was uh, one player on one of my uh, son's teams, and uh, he wasn't all that good of a player. He struggled, and he didn't really know what he was doing. But this is what he would do every at bat, every at bat. He'd come out of the dugout, most of the time dragging his bat, you know, kind of fumbling over himself. And what he would do, coaches are barking out orders. You got to do this. You got to do that. The fans are cheering. Go. And what is he doing? He just does this. He looks back to the stands, finds his parents. Smiles to him, gives him a thumbs up, gets in the batter's box. And almost in between pitches, like long at bats, you know, he's looking back. Are you still watching? You know, I'm still still making sure. Cause he's oblivious to all that is else is going on, but he's looking to his parents, he's looking for his father. That's the picture here. Okay? It is that that in the midst of all these other eyes that are watching, he says, Your father's the one with the reward. Uh, that word Father is important. It's important for us to remember that we have a relationship with Him. The second word that you'll see in there that I want to highlight is this, heaven. Heaven. As you think about that, you say, well, Father in heaven, why why does His location matter? It, It matters a lot, and I'll tell you why. Because if we're looking for what is down here to be our reward we will be left empty handed. If we're saying, you know, uh, God, I, I honored you today. Where's all the money? I, I honored you today. How come you're not showering me with every little nicety that I want? Because there are rewards in heaven where I am. Father in heaven. He points to it's not about what's down here. It's where, where I am where the rewards will come. Well, um, I have three things that I want to uh, give you just to tie up this new thinking of his kingdom uh, being different. And and it is different. I, I want to tell you it is different. It's a different way to think. I realize that we're different ages here uh, uh, this morning. And for those of you who are older, it's tougher for us because you might hear this message and you say, But I've been driven. My motives have been, my whole life is to please people. And I don't know how to live a different way. And I want to tell you, um, God can change you. That's why Christ came, that you would change. And it's way better. It's way better. Now We'll get there, okay? So new thinking for a new kingdom. The first thing I want to tell you is this. Stop chasing your tail. Stop chasing your tail. Now you say, I don't have a tail. What do you mean? Okay, stop chasing your tail. Picture the dog thing. Have you ever seen that? These hyper dogs, and you yank on their tail, and they're like, oh, I'm going to get it. And what do they do? Well, first, if they do get it, it's not very good, right? You know, you're biting your own tail. So anyways, but you're going around and around, and they're exhausting themselves trying to catch their own tail, and they're exhausting themselves, and it's kind of this, "Oh, oh, okay, I'm getting tired, okay? That, to me, is the picture of living for the eyes of men. It is. Because this is what happens. I think of one of you over here. And I really care about what you think. And so I'm trying to do things to impress you. And I get some attention. And someone over here says. Yeah but you're not doing this. And I hold that thought. And so I run over here. And I start doing this. And I get a phone call from someone at church. Oh I got to do that. And so you're chasing around. And you're running around. Uh, it, it, it makes no sense. It's tiring. It's exhausting. Stop chasing your own tail and focus on your father. Focus on your father. Um, the greatest counsel I can give you to whatever problem you have right now, whatever, whatever you're going through right now is this. Pray, seek God. Try to discern, try to ask him over and over again, what do you want me to do and then do it? and do it. And you say, why is that profound counsel? It's real simple because it's, it's singular. You have one place that you need to go and it's him. If you start asking, you know, uh, what this person thinks or listening to this person or uh, matching yourself up against this person, guess what? You'll be chasing your tail, but focus on your father Just focus on him. Asking those simple questions of him. Saying, God, what do you want me to do? And then do it. Well, well, what if my friends don't like it? Who cares? I mean, this is the difficult place that it places us. And you say, well, I don't know if I can do that. One writer I read this week said this. To trade the goal of pleasing our Father for trivial and idolatrous goal of pleasing man will never do that's what you're doing you're trading out all the pull of men down here for what your heavenly father wants it will never do it it'll never satisfy you so stop chasing your own tail and focus on your father number two uh ask this question over and over again Is this momentary or is this eternal? As as I'm doing this, is this something for the momentary praise of men? Or is this uh, the way I'm going about the the eternal thing that comes from my heavenly father? You see, value matters, right? If you you look at your life and you say, I'm living and, and I'm wasting these days for something. What am I wasting them on? Am I wasting them on things that won't be here? We're at the start of a school year. And I, I, I want to tell you, this is one of those lessons that's so hard to get. And and you can get them when you're young, but it's very hard to. But the older you get, you realize, hey, I had these friends. These were my buds. I, I love these guys. I, I wanted their approval. I wanted to be part of the club. And and I, I realized they were the best thing in the world to me. And guess what? The next year they were gone. They were gone. I, I, and, and you say, well, but these friends are the, the most important thing in my life. Guess what? All of them combined. All of them combined are not worth the worth of your relationship with the Father. All of them. And so you got to ask the question, Is this for the temporary approval of men or is this for the eternal relationship that I have with my Heavenly Father? And lastly, I want to tell you this. Learn to distinguish, isolate, and listen to the voice of the King. Let me read that again. Distinguish, isolate, and listen to the voice of the King. What do I mean by that? It's this. It's the Father's voice. You know, uh, sporting events are, are hectic and chaotic times where, where people are cheering and this and that. But why does a son hear the voice of their father barking out commands? Because they've learned to listen to the voice. Uh, Book of John talks about this as, as the, the sheep listen to the shepherd, right? And that's the picture for us is that we would learn to listen to the voice of God in our lives. To isolate it from all the other noise. And then to go and to do it. Going to do it. You say, well, what if no one else approves? Uh, The question for you is not who approves and who doesn't. It's what is that singular place? What does God think of the way I'm living right now? You see, it's not about whether we're practicing our righteousness publicly or privately It's whether these righteous acts are being formed and done with the motive of pleasing men or pleasing God. This morning, I hope that we can hear clearly that our lives are meant to be lived for him and him alone. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. I pray that as we uh, think and um, consider your word, Lord, that you would mark us with it. God, I know um, that I struggle with these issues that I've talked about this morning, that I desire sometimes the accolades of men more often than I'd like to admit. And God, um, that's a poor substitute, uh, a wicked substitute for me desiring your approval and that I would live for you. And God, I ask that you'd grant us the grace to change, that we would repent And that you would be honored in our lives. And that we would experience the freedom and joy that comes from listening to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. I'll see you at the picnic. You're dismissed.